Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Becoming from 90% Hoops. Today, we have a very special guest. This is Patrick Pollock from the Everyday Teacher podcast, and he's going to be talking to us today, sharing his journey of becoming a coach, becoming a leader, and just dropping knowledge for everybody to learn from. So, first of all, just want to thank Coach for joining the podcast today. Hey, it's it's truly an honor to be here. Um, I just love uh, the content you guys are doing, and and I love uh, I love having the opportunity to network with coaches around the country. And uh, whatever we discuss today, I know I'm going to get better, and somebody else can learn from it. That's awesome. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll get right into it. Um, first question of the day is. You know, what does a modern day leader look like? You know, leadership has changed a lot, I'm sure, from when you were a kid to where you are now. So how would you describe what a modern day leader looks like? Uh, that, that's a great question. I think Thank you. the modern day leader needs to, first of all, invest in their people. Um, I think the more time you can invest in who you are leading, you can understand how you can help them. And I'm a, I'm a firm believer that a leader is out in the front and they're not behind pushing people forward, they're in front pulling people with them. And I think a modern leader has to do that. And secondly, uh, what I've learned from being as a player in high school and college is that there are certain traits that a leader needs. So, uh, for example, I look at my high school coach um, you got to be able to hold your people accountable, all right? And that's going to vary from person to person. You can't have a cookie-cutter model because what you might need from one person might be different than somebody else. So, again, back to the investing of people. I think something else that you need is you need to manage personalities. I think a leader, again, by knowing who, who you have, who you're leading, uh, what they're capable of and what their personality is like, you can really shape and direct them in the direction you need them to go, but it's a partnership. And I think finally, a leader has to be detail-oriented. You have to have a specific vision in mind, but to be able to articulate it so each person understands the part that they play in that vision. Because again, when you're coaching a team of 15 players, you're going to have 15 different things that you need to worry about. In a teacher in a classroom, you might have 35 students that have 35 different learning rates. If you're a CEO of a company of 150 to 100,000 people, you need to know how to navigate that. So, you know, if your vision is detailed, it's articulated clearly, and you can, by investing in those people, get them to understand the vision, then I believe that's what a modern day leader it's, you know, they're, they're pushing that forward, looking in that vision. Yeah, I love what you said about managing personalities because everybody really is different. And so everybody learns in different ways. Everybody's motivated by different things. So figuring out the best way to do that is probably the hardest part. And then, well, yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, so my next question is about what's the difference between an educator, a teacher, and a coach? Or are they all the same? Uh, that, you're, you're just coming out of the good swing, Coach. That's what we do. That's what we do here. <laughs> Let's get it hard. 
I think when you're up to 10,000 foot looking down, they are synonyms, right? They're interchangeable. An educator, a teacher, a coach, there's going to be crossovers um, as far as the specific things they're trying to get accomplished. You look at the root of all three, you're in charge of someone else's development. And again, it goes back to if you invest in who the artist people, you can understand what they need to develop. You know, from a coaching perspective, if we're only strictly looking at the sport, what is the skill I need to give them in order for them to grow and be effective? From a teacher standpoint, it might be a specific skill in learning. If I want to teach writing, have I given them the tools to be able to write what I need them to write? Answer the question I've asked. An educator, I think you need to have, goes back to that vision, what is the overarching thing I want them to learn, and then how do I implement those skills with content? As a coach, what's the overarching goal of the program, and then how do I institute things to accomplish that? So, again, I'd like to see they're interchangeable, but I, there might be some very specific details that you can pigeonhole into each box, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So would you say that the best leaders have all of those qualities? A absolutely. I think I've been fortunate to be around great teachers, great coaches who were great leaders of people. Um, and uh, that certainly instilled in me that these are the qualities that I need to have if I want to be a head coach, if I want to be a leader in my community, if I want to be a teacher leader on campus. Um, so you, you need to have them. A, a, a leader is going to do all three of those things. You have to teach. You have to give, you have to develop skills. You have to be on the lookout for the potential pitfalls and prepare your people on how to avoid them. Right, so definitely you have to have all of those traits to be an effective leader. And I think sometimes we have seen leaders that have parts of that, and when they fall short, it's because those blurring areas are just lacking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's kind of go back to your your journey, your story. You know, what was the first time that you had the the thought that being a coach, being a, a teacher was something that you wanted to do? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good question. And, it, and it's, it's a twisty, turny story, but um, when I graduated high school, I knew I wasn't going to go to college right out of the gate um, as far as a four-year institution, but I still wanted to play. So I stayed here local, was able to play one year at a junior college, Saddleback Junior College, under the great Bill Brummel. Um, oddly enough, him and my high school coach played together at Long Beach State under the great Lou Olson when Lou Olson was back at Long Beach State back in the day. So, um, but what I learned there was to the manage of the personalities point that I made earlier. You know, Juco ball is pretty transient. You got kids coming and going. And if you need to win, you got to quickly figure out how to manage them. Um, it was actually that next year was the first year I coached. I was focusing on my academics so I could transfer 
uh, to uh, a school, hopefully to try to play ball. And at 19, I had my first team coaching. I had a bunch of sophomores, and sophomore programs don't often get the love. Um, but I made him a simple deal. I said, look, I'm not that much older than you, but I know more about the game than you do. So if we can come to an understanding that we're going to come in and work hard, we'll be successful. And we had relative success that year, uh, and, and it, was, it was good stuff. I went on to walk on at UC San Diego, played there for two years. We were Division three at the time. Now they're Division I. Um, but that next year, I had an opportunity to work clinics and then uh, work at a small private school down there. And then I went into the real world. I went to corporate America for 10 years. Um, and I had a bunch of friends that were teachers, and they were the ones that really convinced me to get back into the, get into education and get into coaching. Well, due to some unforeseen circumstances, that, that plan got pushed up a little bit in 2007, and I jumped to uh, getting into teaching and, and coaching. And, uh, you know, I went back, started at the bottom, and coached freshmen. And, you know, they're great because uh, they don't know anything, typically. Um, and I was coaching at a, at a small private school that just was trying to develop a freshman program. So what that forced me to do is go back and, and focus on the fundamentals. And in, 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 in doing that, I always carried that with me. I think when you become, if you become a varsity coach, you know, we're focused on offenses and this type of defense, and we're going to run this set and blah, blah, blah. But we can easily lose sight of, of the fundamentals. So really, from 2008 until 2016, I was coaching basketball at, at, at schools. Um, during that time, I became a varsity head coach uh, for four years um, at Laguna Hills High School. And, uh, and then uh, I took a little break, and now I'm back coaching softball at Lincoln Hills High School. That's where my daughter goes to school. So she's a big time softball player. So, you know, the, the journey hasn't been easy from the standpoint is that I felt I was never at a place long enough to have an impact. Now, if you talk to some of the players I coached, we might say differently, but when you become a head varsity coach and you're trying to build a program, you have short-term goals, but a long-term vision. And it just, due to things that were out of my control, um, from a teaching capacity, I wasn't able to put those foundations in place. Oddly enough, I learned more about coaching when I stepped away from it than actually doing it. And uh, having to be able to make relationships with yourself and some other coaches out there um, I have a far better understanding of what coaches today need versus what I thought I needed 10 years ago. So, um, you know, I hope to be the old guy with the clipboard on, on a bench one of these days and, uh, you know, get some young buck some wisdom. Um, but, uh, you know, it, you know, coaching, has, it's a passion. It's who you are. And, you know, something my wife said a few weeks ago, we were talking, because I had every year at the beginning of the season, I get a phone call from a coach saying, hey, you want to come coach? And, you know, my life's pretty busy with three kids and, and a full-time gig and all that stuff. But 
it's what she said is that you're a coach no matter what that's what you do you coach people on your campus you coach kids when you see it you're a coach you should not deny that passion you just have to figure out what is the best situation that you can lend that passion and uh yeah it's 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 something that I, I I think I'm pretty good at, but I'm always thinking I can be better. And if I can, whatever I've learned over the last, you know, from my playing days to coaching days, if it can help somebody be better, then I'm at your service. Yeah, so talk about that time where you went to corporate America. How did that time prepare you to become a coach, to be a teacher? And, you know, was that time really beneficial for you? Absolutely. I, I was very blessed to, uh, you know, I took, after I, I graduated college in 95 and I thought I wanted to go to law school and then I'm like, dude, you just spent five years in college. Why do you want to go for another three? So um, I played in men's leagues, refereed rec leagues, and I made smoothies for a year. And then, I, then a buddy of mine's family had a company. They were a computer reseller for Apple Computer, a company called Club Mac. And um, my buddy's like, yeah, man, we're hiring, come on up and talk to me. And my interview was, we've got a men's league starting on Tuesday, you start on Monday. I was like, all right, here we go. Need a point guard. And uh, it was a family-owned business, and I was immediately put into the brain trust. And these were other guys I went to school with. And what it allowed me to do is understand how a company is ran and how all facets of it work, and then the role you play in keeping that machine going. Um, a few years later, uh, the older brother of my buddy sold the company to a larger company. So now we're big time corporate. We're not mom and pop, we're big time corporate. And he put me in charge of the sales division. So that was really my first leadership role. Um, in corporate America, I was managing 40 reps plus a customer service department, so about 60 people, and it's hustle and muscle. It's 12 hours, it's 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. if you're lucky. But what I found out is, number one, I had to demonstrate to them I was a competent individual, that I knew how to get their orders shipped, which means that was putting money in my pocket. And then secondly, I'm a big resource person, like understanding how to use resources. In most cases, a lot of these salespeople would just be like, give me the order, give me the order without understanding how to use the resources to get the order. So it was me having the opportunity to work with them directly, using the resources available to them to essentially make them more money. So, and then, then I became a director of sales, and now I'm managing an entire division. So now I've got 100 people reporting to me. And again, same principles apply. I have to invest in who they are, what makes them tick, what drives them, and then how can I support that and give them the tools and resources so they can be successful. So the 10 years in corporate America really set me up well when I jumped to education and got back into coaching because I understood you know, the attention to the details. I understand what it means to be organized. I understand the value of communication. 
what I think I see all the time is young coaches that are either coming from just being players, they haven't developed any life experience to draw from. You know, I went into teaching and coaching when I was in my early 30s versus 23, 24, you know. Um, and I had friends that I played with that were college coaches. So again, I can rely on, you know, sources uh, outside of that, not to mention the coaches that I had. I feel very blessed that I can reach out to all my previous coaches and still talk to them. Um, but I tell people all the time that the 10 years I spent in corporate America was a great decision because it really set me up to be in a position where I can take on leadership roles. I understand how to manage details. I understand how to manage personalities of people, um, which is really the hardest thing you do in a classroom or on a team or, or what have you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you mentioned, you know, how that time was, you know, was really beneficial for you. And, you know, you see a lot of young coaches don't really have a lot of life experience. So what would you recommend for someone who, let's say they just graduated college or they just finished their, their playing career in college and now they want to get into coaching, but they don't have a lot of experience to draw on. So what would you say is a good way for those people to get some real life experience before they get into coaching? Yeah, that's yeah, a great that's question. A question. So Thank what, you. what I would do is if, if I was 23, 24 years old, maybe I just got done playing, you know, the first thing I would do is stick with what I know and that's the college that I was at. You know, I would, I would look to get a graduate assistant position and basically kind of do some grunt work for two years, um, if not longer than that. And then I would look on campus to see what other opportunities they are to get some of the real world experiences. You know, maybe it's an internship um, at maybe whatever my field of study is. Um, maybe it's volunteering at a hospital uh, or, you know, at the courthouse or whatever it is. You know, a place where life is happening, where you're forced to interact with various walks of life. Um, so I would certainly do that. And then as you hopefully pay your dues and then, you know, get out of the GA role into an assistant role, um, you're now working with the community. Maybe you get involved with the local rec leagues. Maybe you get involved with the local community sports. Um, because, again, you're dealing with people. I mean, you know as well as I do, Coach, is that dealing with parents is a lot of work. So you so want to learn early on what that what feels that like. Because I'm, because I'm a parent, and I'm probably like the worst parent because I'm a teacher, I'm a coach, and I'm a parent. So there's nothing a coach or a teacher can tell me that either I haven't already said myself, or I know it's coming because you know that's in the playbook, right? You know, page 45, here's your response. So I think when you're in your 20s, if you're pursuing coaching, if you want to stay at the college level, you got to stay at the college level, but be engrossed in that environment. Just don't leave yourself in the basketball community. Get out into the athletics community or get out on campus. Because again, you're going to experience different walks of life. If you want to get into the high school, you know, I would, if you're going to be a teacher, go through the credential process. We need teachers. It's a tough job, but it's rewarding. 
but you know, you want to start volunteering. You know, hey, I just want to be an assistant coach. I want to come learn from you. Let me sweep your floors for you. Let me get you water, um, and, and pay your dues that way. But then again, find maybe there's a job you can get on campus. So, for example, the softball coach at Lubinos High School, you know, he's coaching three or four sports, and he's the campus supervisor. All right, you're going to learn a lot on how to deal with kids being the campus supervisor. You know, and it's typically the population that goes unnoticed, right? So it's just an opportunity to, to interact. Um, if you're not set on coaching right out of the gate, then I would offer up get a, get a real world job. Not that coaching's not a real world job or education, but get out there and experience different you know, business communities. Um, and again, it just gives you an opportunity to understand how things work, um, understand how, you know, people manage other people. You know, uh, I think if, if you have an athlete coming from a team sport, they know what it means to work with other people. You know, that's a skill that can be constantly cultivated because you're going to work with people for the rest of your life. So, I think when you're having an opportunity to get any worldly experience, you got to take it. And if you know, don't give up on your passion. You can do both, but you got to find the avenues of where you are to make it happen. And that's just using your resources. You're talking to your head coach. You're talking to the school community. You're talking to the guidance counselors. Whatever it is. Because at the end of the day, colleges and universities want to put their graduates in a position where they can be successful. I think far too many people forget that, and they just feel like they have to go out on their own. And there's probably a laundry list of things they can hand you to say, hey, here you go, here are the opportunities. You just got to be willing to, to look. Yeah, I think that's that's going to be very helpful for a lot of younger coaches that are listening to this. Um, you know, you mentioned dealing with parents, and that's something that we'll get to in a little bit. Definitely have some questions for you on that. But um, So this next question is more geared towards uh, teachers or coaches that are working with younger kids. So how do you balance between fun and learning? Because you know you want kids to, to learn, learn the fundamentals or learn the basics of whatever you're doing, but sometimes that can be a little bit boring. I mean, you also want them to have fun so they can develop an interest and then hopefully that will turn into a passion. Um, so how do you balance between making it fun versus you know instilling those basic fundamentals that they're gonna need to know? Right, yeah, anytime I go to a clinic um, and I'm working with you know that age group, six to 12, six to 14, whatever it is, um, I, I share the story that Alan Stein talks about all the time about the time he was working Kobe's camp and he asked Kobe if he could go watch him work out. And uh, Kobe's like, yeah, you know, workout starts at 4 o'clock. And, you know, Coach Stein's like, it's 3.30. He's like, no, 4 a.m., right? And, and Coach goes on to say that he was going to beat Kobe to the gym and he shows up at 3.30 a.m. and the lights are already on and you hear the ball bounce. You know, he sneaks in a side door, and Kobe's already 30 minutes into a warm-up of what ends up being a two-and-a-half-hour workout. And, and Coach Stein goes on to say that Kobe spends the first hour and a half doing nothing but fundamental details. 
shot work. Shot work. Nothing, Nothing that you and I would see like on a YouTube video, right? It's like it's the boring of the boring, but obviously done at a very high level. So later that day, Coach Stein says, you know, hey, why do you, you're the greatest player in the world, why are you doing the fundamentals? And, and Kobe gives, gives you that smile and says, why do you think I'm the greatest person, the greatest player in the world? Because I spent all the time on fundamentals. You know, so you kind of set the table, if, if the best players in the world are doing it, you should do it too. And, you know, when I'm in a gym, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, a, I'm, I'm loud. I don't take things too seriously, but I get in there and, and, and try to do the drills with them. You know, I'm still fortunate enough where I move pretty good for a 50-year-old. Um, but you get in and do them, and you show, and, and you have a level of energy and passion. And um, I think that's how you make it fun. Uh, we've all seen those coaches who sit there with a whistle and blow it, and their arms are crossed, and they bark this order, they bark that order, and players are walking around. But but there's a detachment between the person asking you to do something and the players. So, you know, I think you gotta roll up your sleeves and get in there and do it with them. And I think that kids see that and they become engaged and they stay engaged, you know? So I think that's certainly part of it. The second thing is you gotta make fundamentals less complicated. I think, you know, if we're looking, let's talk, Pivoting. Pivoting is a perfect example. You can pivot 50 different ways from Sunday, but keep it short, keep it simple, and then you can repeat it. And then you can implement that in other drills. Hey, we're going to do this shooting drill, but I want you to work on that pivot we worked on five minutes ago. You know, hey, Billy, come out and show us what that pivot looks like. Great. All right. And now you've got a model who's a player helping you out, right? Again, now you're staying engaged with, with students and it's somebody different each time, you know? And and then I would go ahead and ask questions like, hey, remember a little while ago I said this, what do we want to do again? Who knows, raise your hand, right? Yeah, go ahead. And now they're, again, they're engaged. And I think the other thing you have to remember is we're dealing with a culture that's based on 280 characters. It's a Twitter society. You have 90 seconds to two minute window before their attention span goes somewhere else. So you gotta be, you gotta be changing your beats, right? You can't have something go on for a long period of time. And I see that all the time at the travel ball level is you have these long winded soliloquy speeches by these coaches and the kids have checked out. The information they might be given is good information, but their their minds are gone. You know, you could be singing their praises and they're not hearing, you know. So I think that's how you just, it, it's, you have to keep them engaged. Um, and you've got to do it in short periods of time. And you can do the same thing again and again and again, but it needs to be in shorter periods of time. And I think if you do that, you keep that level of engagement high, and then those students, athletes, or what have you, walk away going, yeah, I got something out of it. And parents see it too. Parents, parents will notice the coach standing on the sideline, on his phone, on her phone, talking to a, somebody else, laughing and giggling. They're not engaged, you know, and that, I, I, again, I stopped going to clinics that my kids go to because that will just hurt me, you know, and I got to bite my tongue. So I'm like, I'm paying you to do this. I don't need you on your phone. <laughs> I want you to yeah. my kids. So I think that's that's gotta be your approach. Short, simple, sweet, 
get in there and do it with them. Show them that you're having fun doing it, and they're going to have fun doing it. Yeah, and no, I love what you just said there at the end. You got to show them that you're having fun too. And I yeah, think a big yeah. part of that is bringing the right energy. And, you know, I think just showing that you care can really go a long ways because there's a lot of coaches that just don't really care. And so if you're engaged, you're having fun, you know, you're really trying to help them out, you're bringing positive, you know, infectious energy, then everybody's going to feed off that. And so, and like you said, the parents, parents like to see that too. Yeah, I mean, we always preach too, and this is the old adage out there, a quiet gym is a losing gym, and there's a lot of truth in that. At the same time, we've got to have the right energy, right? We, we've all been in that gym where the negative energy is like to the rim, and we don't want that. So when something goes wrong, we have, as, as leaders, as coaches, we can't have that out-of-body experience moment. we got to just take a step back, hit the reset button, and then get that positive energy back up. Because players will feed off that too. If you're a negative person or you're just law about it, yeah, they're, they're not going to go for you. And it doesn't matter who they are because they see it. They're like, yeah, you're not invested in me, not to my invested in people, and I'm not going to invest in this drill. So, yeah, I definitely got to bring that energy. So let's say that you, you got a kid on your team who's very talented, very talented, very skilled player, a lot of potential, but they're lazy. Maybe their their habits aren't good. Their work ethic is, is pretty weak. What are you saying to that kid to help them understand the value of working hard and what they can achieve given their talents and abilities? Sure. Now that's that's something I think all coaches uh, face at one time or another, and I think uh, you know the one example I'll give you is a player I had who was he a head topper? No, but he was good for our program. He did a lot of things well, but going into his senior year, he was like, "I'm cooler than cool," and and that shows in his work ethic. And after a couple of three weeks, I sat him down and I said, and they go, hey, what do you want out of your senior year? He's like, well, I want to win. I said, well, what does that mean? And he's like, well, I want, I want to win league. I'm like, okay, what does that mean? He's like, well, that means we win league. I go, no, no, you're not hearing what I'm asking. So let's back up. What do you want to accomplish today at practice? And he had no answer because he wasn't thinking about it. I said, all you're thinking of is the end result. You want to win a league title. You want to put a banner on the wall. You want to chase the ring. That's a great goal to have. But you're not going to get there unless you figure out what you're going to do today. I said, so, and, and, and what you've shown me the last three weeks, you don't care about today. You just don't. So, so you're in my, you're position. In my position. What do you do with that, play? Do with that player? He goes, I don't play him. I'm a big I go, you now put yourself in a position where your teammates can't trust you because you're not working as hard as you used to. Your body language is very good. And and as a coach, how can I put you in? He's like, well, He's like, coach, I'm a gamer. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. If you don't if you bring, don't that, bring gamer that gamer energy, energy to practice, to practice 
You're never going to see the four. I don't care how good you are. If you want to get to the next level, and that was his goal, I said, you got to worry about today. So when you get to practice today, no matter what drill we're doing, I better see 100%. I go, and the only thing I've ever asked for is 100%, 100% of the time, when it's your turn. That's all. So we get to practice, and totally different person. He was back to where he was a year ago as a junior when he was getting 14, 15 minutes a game. So a week goes by, has a pretty decent outing. Early in the week, we had a big, big game against a big rival. But we ended up winning in double overtime, and he did some things that really boosted us to get where we needed to go. Monday of practice, back to long-term goal. He stopped focusing on that day, and I let I let it go. I want to see where this is going. You know, he's a senior. He's a senior. The, captains the captains have spoken, have spoken to, him. to him. And, uh, and uh, I said, uh, I said what's, going what's going on? He's like, what do you mean? I go, you're, you're back to, you know, not you know, giving not the giving effort, effort that you were given a week ago, ago that led you to have the, the two, you know, two positive games last week. He's like, oh, yeah, coach, I got it. I said, no, you don't. I go, you got it. I go, today. I need to see it today. Doesn't show up to practice. I'm like, all right. I'm like, all right. So he's so benched the next game. game. Doesn't show up to the, the game. game. <laughs> so, I'm so I'm like, what are we doing? Are we doing? He's like, he's coach, like, you coach, just need to play me. I said, no, I don't. I, I go, I'm so, I go, I want to play you. I think your teammates want you to play. But I'm not going to play you under these circumstances. I go, when you're ready to do the things you're capable of doing, you can show me practice, and you'll see it in the game. And, yeah. Never happened. Funny thing is, fast forward to this past spring, he ended up going into the Army, by the way. It was the best thing from a maturity standpoint. Spent six years in the Army. And he sends me a text message, Coach, I finally understand what you were trying to tell me my senior year. Six years later. I said, oh yeah? What's that? Work my bleep off and you get what you want to get. I'm like, hmm. I said, all right. What do you need from me? He's like, I want to go into coaching. I said, great. What's the, What's the first thing you need to tell your players? players? Don't be like me. <laughs> so I was like, you're, you're on the right path, my friend. So I was able to hook him up with a, with the school, and, and he's helping out with freshmen. But, you know, I think we see so often kids that are super talented, super talented, but they don't have – a, 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 a way to keep them grounded, you know? you know. They're, in my, in my opinion, opinion, there's a lot, there's of, a lot of 
just go do what you do mentality. And that can cause some of the problems we're talking about. That when you're the best player in the gym, find a new gym. Most of these kids stay in that gym. So when they finally face somebody that is better than them, they don't know how to handle it. And they, their support structure they have around them is not helping them with that. You know, and that leads down, you know, that can lead to, you know, different other paths. But, you know, I think, you know, if, if talent is truly God-given, accept it, feel blessed, but work really hard to honor that talent. I mean, I was, I've been an overachiever. You know, I'm a 5'9 point guard from South Orange County. You know, and I was able to play a year at junior college ball, two years at a Division three school. And I've been an overachiever all my life in school. And there's nothing wrong with that. All right? I would have killed to be 5'11, coach. <laughs> but it didn't happen. So, you know, these kids that possess all this talent, somebody... I pray, is in their ear saying, if you do this types of activities, you're going to get where you want to go. But it has to be today. So. Yeah, a lot of what you said there reminds me of uh, something that I read out of a book. I think he was from John Maxwell. He was saying, basically, instead of being focused on goals, be focused on growth. Because when you're overly focused on a goal you kind of lose sight of what you need to do in order to accomplish that goal and also once you do accomplish it it's kind of like well now what you know where do i go from here so definitely yeah, love yeah, what you said there yeah and i think it goes back you know again i've referenced him a couple times already is you know you know alan stein has his phrase you know focus where you feel and I'm a firm believer in that. I tell my students that all the time, is that, you know, what's important is right now. We can have goals, all right, but they're goals, you know? You know, um, you gotta understand what the tasks you need to complete to achieve those goals. So yeah, I, I, I firmly agree with what you're saying, Coach. Yeah, definitely. Um, so this next question is gonna be, gonna be a lot, a lot to it, but, um, from watching your uh, your videos on Twitter, um, I, I picked up that you're you're we know that you're a teacher, but you're a virtual teacher. Um, so, first part of this question is: How do you get kids excited about learning in a virtual environment? And you know, I think one thing that virtual school has has uh, you know led to is a lot of I guess you could call it cheating, but you know, the reality is there's a, all the answers for tests, quizzes, and homework is online. And I think that's more of the system's fault because it's all about it's pass or fail. So it's not set up for kids to learn. It's, for, it's set up for kids to get the answers and then just move on. So what would you, the second part of this question is, is what would you do to kind of fix the, fix the system in order to make it more oriented towards actually learning rather than just getting the answer and moving on. Yeah, no, it, it's, I, I kind of been harping on this the last couple of years. So, you know, I've been with, the school I'm with is called California Virtual Academy. Um, we're part of the, the K-12 Stride program. We're in, their curriculum is used in 38 states around the country. Um, 
And, you know, we operate like a public high school. We're state public charter high schools, and we're completely virtual. In its inception 20 years ago, um, it was a true independent study program where, you know, you logged in, you saw a lesson, you did the work, you met with the teacher maybe once a week, and that was it. Over the last six, seven years, they've moved more to a hybrid model where you have an independent study component, so self-paced curriculum online, and then there's live sessions where I'm teaching to 150 to 200 kids three days a week, you know, broken out into sites. Um, so that gives you that classroom environment. So it's interesting that when I first came on board, I was nervous that I was not going to be an effective teacher. You know, I'd like to think some of my strengths is my, you know, passion, my energy. Um, you know, I move around the room. Uh, I'm not afraid to get in kids' faces. You know make appropriate jokes to kind of settle the mood or restructure things. And like, how am I going to do all that when I don't really see the lights of your eyes? Because more times than not, kids don't have their cameras. So I'm legitimately teaching the 38 to 40 black box. And and I'm like, you know what? I talk to myself all the time. This isn't any different. <laughs> so I just... I just went into it thinking that I'm not going to change my routines. Um, I'm still going to have that level of passion and animation. I'm going to give them good content that doesn't sound preachy. Um, I'm going to try to find the story within the story, which will hopefully capture, you know, their, their uh, you know, get them engaged. But again, Changing every 90 seconds to two minutes. I, I have a short window of time to capture them. Um, and I've become a much better lesson planner. Again, less is more. Um, what I witnessed early on coming to this school is that teachers had these lengthy PowerPoints, which was like nothing but screenshots of like the textbook. And I'm like, what are we doing? So, so, you know, I, you know, I made the decision that I wasn't going to fall into that pit. Now, that doesn't make those teachers bad teachers. So I want to make sure, you know, my boss here says, she's like, you're railing on your people. I'm not railing on my people. But it's a situation where don't sell yourself short as a teacher because the environment by its nature doesn't give you that reciprocity. So I just so put I my just head put down, down and made the commitment that I wasn't going to change who I was as a teacher, but I'm going to work really hard on using appropriate tech tools, um, as well as this dynamic specific lessons, and constantly change my beat. And I have, you know, for the most part, I have great attendance. Um, I've got a great pass rate. Um, I've got kids being engaged, they're talking, they're using the microphone, they're active in the chat box. Um, and, and I really equate it to no different than it would be if I was at a brick and mortar store. You know, you have 20% of the kids are doing all the talking and reading and answering questions. And the 80% are just, you know, they'll do whatever you put in front of them. 
but they're just they're just gonna keep to their own. So, in regards to the teaching component, again, what I've done is I've put more emphasis on assignments that I have control over. So I'll revise them every year so they don't get stale. Um, like two years ago, I went through and I teach U.S. history as my main subject. And I went through and I cleaned up a lot of stuff. And to your point, a quick Google search, here's an essay, boom. And this is a question that we're supposed to do this year. So we're gonna change that. So we've kind of made a commitment as a school to not let any assignment go past two or three years, that it needs a baseline. And, and that's really one surefire way you can limit the amount of, you know, copy. Now, again, anybody can Google search anything and it's a copy and paste, in which case, you know, we have, you know, things in place to safeguard that. And then we just have to turn it back to them and say, you know, according to this, this is 90% plagiarized. Would you like another opportunity? You have a choice. We do it or take the zero. I'm good either way. So, you know, we certainly try to put measures in place to help that, you know. Um, I think in my environment specifically and something that I've been advocating and been very loud about um, is teachers need to be committed to being as dynamic as they can in their classroom. And that's not for everybody. Not everybody's gonna be loud and obnoxious like myself, right? I get that, but you can still be engaging. And, and one thing that our director has really made a commitment to is, especially for new teachers coming to the, to the environment, is having our instructional coaching staff who are dynamic teachers themselves really work with them on creating a dynamic atmosphere and uh, you know it's it's ongoing and i've uh, taken on some responsibilities on campus to help young teachers be dynamic go watch and teach if you think about trying this think about trying that um because you know we want you know the the you don't you don't want crickets because now you're questioning are you an effective teacher so our model has certainly moved in the direction where the teacher has more control over the you know educational environment for the students and you know it's it's we got a long ways to go we're never going to be perfect um but it, it gets better each day and we've got a we got 238 teachers that are committed to doing that which is which is a testament to our administration staff, but more importantly, a, a, a commendation to my fellow teachers that this is what we're committed to. So, yeah, it, it's it's a labor, that's for sure. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely a lot of work, but, you know, things are changing a lot, and so, you know, teachers have to be ready to adapt as well. Um, so, you know, I said we would get into it a little bit later, kind of some stuff about parents, um, cause I know, you know, you're a parent yourself, you're coach, teacher, so you deal with a lot of other parents as well. So my first question is, you know, I'm sure as a coach, you've seen like kids who they miss a shot or they turn the ball over and they immediately look 
for their parents in the stands and they're like they're trying to show them the correct way sitting up in the stands instead of listening to their coach so what would you say to those parents because you know I truly think that doing that is bad for the kid so what would you say to those parents to kind of help them yeah full disclosure guilty as charged um you know but as I've gotten older um I've learned to to trust my my kids you know um Again, my oldest daughter, she's 15, she's a catcher, um, she's got great coaches, she's part of a great organization, not worried about her, she asked, you know, but that took time, to be fair. And then, you know, my other two kids, I have twins, I have 12 year old boy girl twins. One's a swimmer, and she just started playing water polo, and she's self-motivated, she's good to go. And then there's my son who just got back into baseball. And so it's with him, you know, he needs a little additional help, but but he's receptive to it, which is good. So one of the worst things you can hear as a coach is shoot the ball, <laughs> right? Because you're like, no, don't, don't shoot the ball. You know, we might, you know, I was coaching an eighth grade team and I had this kid who, let's say, didn't move as well as some of the other players did. And for the most part, he did a great job doing some of the intangibles, setting screens, blocking out, hard foul, right? Um, and somehow he ended up in the corner, ball got kicked him, and he shoots a three. And, and, and this is on video. And I'm like, the kid hits it, runs back, and you know, grandma yells, shoot the ball. So he shoots the ball, it goes in, and you hear me, the camera goes, you can hear me, I go, great shot, never do that again. Right? Because that's not what I needed him to do. And, and after the game, grandma sought me out and gave me an earful. Now, if you've ever been scolded by your grandmother, that is not a positive experience. So, I think what I tell parents is that your job as a parent is to protect your child. You're biased. Your kid's the best thing on the planet. Why? Because you brought it into this world. You were raising it. And you want them to be successful. The best thing you can do is not give them any instruction. Because number one, they don't want it. I mean, you've conditioned them that when they do something, that they need to look to you for edification. And and that's that's bad. That's bad. And because at that point, they're fearful of disappointing you. You know, um, actually, you, you mentioned that on your website. You know about the uh, the article I was reading about why kids worry, right? They want they don't want to disappoint their parents, right? Um, they don't want to make a mistake. The greatest thing as coaches we can ask of our players is to make mistakes, because that's how we learn. Um, now, don't get me wrong, coaches will wig out and have out of body experiences because it really turns the ball over, but. If we look at the root of it, why did it happen? You know, those kind of things. So I want parents to understand 
is that you're doing more for your child if you just be positive. Say things like, I enjoyed being there today. You bring joy to my heart when I watch you play. I love the fact that you were the first one off the bench giving high fives. You know, I like the fact that you were clapping for your teammates. You know, and and don't bring up the game. You know, because they don't need to be reminded that they didn't play at the level that they wanted to. I mean, they played the game. You didn't. You know, so they and their coach probably told them, right? So, you know, I try to tell parents is that your job is to sit back and enjoy it. You know, actually, this past spring, short short story, I'm I'm helping coach my son's little league team, and the other team, and we were playing on our field. The other team was having this altercation between a coach and a parent in the middle of the game. And I'm like, Coach, you know, get your butt in the dugout, ma'am. We can deal with this later. I had to stop the game and scold the parents in the stands to say, listen, this is literally baseball. These kids are 10, 11, and 12. I do not see the Dodgers in the stands. I don't see scouts. Nobody's getting a scholarship today. Just sit here and enjoy it because this is going to disappear sooner than you know it. And all you have is pictures and reminders and stories of, of your son or daughter playing sports. So sit back and enjoy it, you know? And it's something that my wife and I, my wife constantly reminds me that I need to enjoy their experience. And it's hard. Dad's a coach. Dad's a teacher, you know? Um, oddly, I just went through an ex, you know, a, a, a process where, you know, this, this one of the Bible group I'm a part of, we're doing a book study, and we were at, we were forced to ask our wife and our our kids, give me a weakness. And and two of them, and two of them coming back, I won't say who said what, but we don't sit back and enjoy things. It's just go go go, you know. Um, I don't like it when you make it about me. You know, I just want to enjoy it. And, you know, those words sat heavy on who I am as a person, and I want to change that. You know, these conversations aren't probably happening in most households. You know, dad was probably a pretty good athlete in high school, or, or mom was, and they're expecting that from their kid, and that may never happen. So just, you got it, you got to learn to enjoy it, and if you can't, don't show up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is hard. Which is totally hard. That's why there's that's why there's things like Game Changer and, and Facebook Live and streaming services, you know. I've always thought that like high school sports would be so much better if you didn't invite parents. It was just the two teams and everything was live streamed. <laughs> you know, solve a lot of problems. Yeah, that would make it different for sure. You know, I think a lot of parents, they tie in their own self-worth into their kids' performance. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of times they want their kids to do better more than what their kids want to do. Like, yeah. they take it more seriously than their own kids. 
And I think sometimes you just have to, under, like you're saying, you just got to sit back and enjoy it and kind of let them do their thing. And sometimes you just got to be willing to let them figure it out on their own. Yeah. Um, so and next, it's, I would, it's, it's hard it's because, hard. again, like I said yeah, earlier, you know, I'm a coach. I was an overachiever as an athlete. You know, the, the resources that are available to student-athletes today is ridiculous. And, and I'm a subscriber to it. Um, but, again, at the end of the day, these are their past. I want them to make the most of it. You know, driving to practice, sit the stands, you know, sit in right field as far away from the dugout as possible if I need to. That's fine, you know, because I want them to enjoy the experience, the highs and the lows. Yeah, but also, you know, you only get you only get one opportunity to yell out the refs. So yeah, sometimes yeah. you gotta take advantage of that. Yeah, yeah. this is true. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as as a coach, um, you know, how do you get parents to understand that it's about having the team having success rather than just your own kid? Because um, I think a lot of parents they they don't root for the team; they just root for their kid to do well. And right. what would you say to those parents who who are in that situation? Yeah, I, I had a similar situation. I had a kid who was, you know, a 6'6 plus player, a good kid. He's coming off a knee injury and just wasn't moving like we needed him to. And, you know, we limited the amount of time in chunks. I mean, when he added up, he played a good portion of the game, but it was in small chunks. And... Uh, I remember being in the middle of a timeout on my scorekeeper. Uh, my kids were really young at the time, so you know I'd have my phone on the on the scores table. And our scorekeeper was one of our babysitters. He would say, "If Mrs. Pollock calls, the answer is because there's something going on." And uh, she's like, "Okay." And she's like, "Yeah, so and so's dad is texting you right now, not understanding why he's not today." I'm like. <laughs> In the middle of the game, middle okay, of the game. Okay. you know, no. I think, I think with those parents, it's really hard to change really your heart. It, it just is. And it has yeah. nothing to do with the kid, mostly, most of the time. Um, you know, and what I tried to do in the past when I faced those situations is, you know, at the beginning of every season, every coach has their preseason speech where they're talking to the parents and they say, we don't talk about playing time, you can email me, wait 24 hours, you know, the standard issue head coaching playbook stuff you're supposed to put in your, you know, parenting. But parents, we just can't control themselves and they fire something off in the heat of the moment and, you know, it's one thing after another. I think with those parents, I would say, you know, let's sit down. Me, you, and your player, and my assistant coach, or an administrator, whatever it is. So, what compelled you to send that email? Like, what, what were you hoping for? And, you know, the typical says, well, I want to know why my son's not playing this much. I said, at any time did you ask yourself? And typically at that point, it's dead silence. Because they're only seeing the game. They're not seeing the effort the kid's given in practice. You know, we don't, and, and the kid may not be very good. I mean, that that's a reality, right? He gets spot duty for a reason. You're up big, down big, 
um, uh, it's fouled out, it's fouled whatever, out it whatever it is. And I would just tell him that, and then I would turn on the kid and be like, why do you think you play the amount that you do? And then, you know, in, in, in most cases, 99% of the time, you know, the kid was like, you know what, so-and-so is better than I am. The minutes I'm getting is based on what I bring to the team. You know, and I, I try to sit down with my, my players and be like, this is your role. This is what I need for you. This is what it will look like. You know, it could be seven minutes, it could be 17 minutes, it could be seven seconds. But just understand, if you're in the game, these are the things I'm expecting. The parents typically won't know that. Because why would I bring that in? Why would I bring them into that conversation? Right? So more times than not, those parents get a harsh dose of reality that they've overstepped their bounds. Um, and it typically doesn't happen again. Now, obviously, if that's at the high school level, then that's a rapport I feel with my players. At the rec level, where it's one, two practices a week, coaches are volunteers, they may know what they're doing, they may not, they're not a professional coach, you know. You know, I, you know, hats off to the guy who's coached 12 years in Little League, um, but, you know, his that's not his job. You know, that's him taking advantage and spending time with his kid, and I'm never going to fault something. You know, but you're not a professional coach. That's not what you do 24-7. So, you know, when I see those parents hooting and hollering at those coaches, and I'm like, you're more than welcome to volunteer. You know, why don't you come help coach? You know, and it's amazing how they're teaching. You know, that they don't have the thought. You know, there's that... You know, meme out there is before you complain, volunteer. You know, so you know, I think that that's kind of you know. But I think in some cases, you're never going to change that parent's mind. I actually had a parent chase me down in a grocery store. Um, this this student athlete, he played for me as a senior. He had been on varsity as a junior. He played for me as a senior. It was my first year as a varsity coach. Great kid. Great kid, slower than dirt. But he was an old school game, mid-range kid, effective in small doses. You know, probably paid anywhere between eight to 12 minutes a game, but his minutes, when you looked at it, it's effectiveness, spot on. Never had to worry about it, but couldn't check a box with a pencil. So, made him a team captain, because he had the leadership ability came off the bench, but his minutes were effective more times than not to finish the game. Three years after he graduated, say hi to the dad in the grocery store. They chases me down the frozen food section and gets in my face and says, I don't understand why so-and-so didn't start. He was a team captain. I said, did you ever have this conversation with your son? He's like, no. I said, go have that conversation with your son, and then you can come talk to him. So he went off in a huff. An hour later, I get a text from the player. Did you meet my see my dad at the grocery store this morning? I said, Yeah. I go, Did he call you? He's like, Yeah. He's reaming and hooting and hollering about playing time. And I'm like, Dad, shut up. Yeah, you know, it was just kind of funny that that he was that parent. He never understood, but never took the time to talk to his kid. And and this is a kid who anytime he's home reaches out and says, you know, Pollock, what's up? I'm going to come by and say hi. Come on by. You know, it's just, 
it's just kind of, you know, funny, you know? Yeah, no, it's, it's really all about communication. Like, you got to make sure that, you know, you and the player are on the same page. You know, if you got a player who you don't think is going to play a huge role or get a lot of minutes, you got to make sure that they understand that and that their their parent understands that as well because, you know, you don't want to get halfway through the season and be having to deal with, you know, parents and yeah. explaining your your decisions. Um, so now we will uh, we'll transition to a fun segment that we have here on this show. It's called Explain That Tweet. So, yeah, so I'm going to read back a couple of your tweets, and uh, you just got to offer a little explanation on it. Uh, so this first one actually came from a video, so I guess it, it would be called Explain That Video. Um, you claim to have worked out for 142 straight weeks. Yes. And so I just want to kind of hear a little bit about that. And, uh, you know, what was your, your motivation on those days where you felt tired or felt like yeah, not uh, doing anything? No, for no, sure. For sure. Um, so, so when COVID, COVID hit, I was, I've always I've been an avid, avid gym goer. goer. You know, get up, I get up, I get up at 4 a.m. every morning. 4 a.m. Get up. It's my time. Quiet. Me and the dogs. Get my workout in, and then I'm starting the day. Do my Bible study, etc. Right. So we, when COVID hit, well, right before COVID hit, my wife got the Peloton app, and we had a spin bike at home, and she was doing the workouts and. Uh, she added me as a you know family member, and then I started doing the workouts. And then when COVID hit and our gym basically shut down, we were working out at home. And I was never a home workout person, but it I guess maybe because of my age, <laughs> you know, in my late forties, I'm fifty now. Um, it it felt good. Just felt good. I get my workout in. Um, still get everything I need, you know, I don't need a ton of weight, I can do this, I can do that. And I just made the commitment that no matter what, I would do something every day. You know, it may not be a hard lift or a workout, but a 15 minute stretch, okay, or five minutes with the core, all right? So, and I'm on week 143, and even when I had COVID, you know, it, and you know, if you had COVID or people that had COVID, you know what I'm talking about is you just feel miserable. And, but 10 minutes of stretching, it made all the difference in the world. You know, my body just felt like I got hit by a ton of bricks, but this 10 minutes of stretching made all the difference in the world. You know, I, I, I felt that because that I've been diligent with my workouts, it didn't linger like I know it had for most people. So, so for me, it's like you like got. If I can do something every day, then, then I'm good. good. Uh, you know, it's you like know, anything it's else. else uh, uh, you know, we're chasing the calendar. Calendar's, calendar's not coming. It's not moving in the direction we want it to. So, um, and you know, there's some medical family history that motivates me to keep me, you know, eating right the best I can. And, uh, and uh, you know, get my workouts out, you know. So I want to, I want to keep going as for as long as I can do it. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I, I I definitely agree. You know, just doing something active, getting your body moving, 
you know, it really makes the, the rest of the day a lot better. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, here's another, uh, well, I guess this is the first tweet that we're going through. But um, so this one's from December of last year. And it says, it's a lot to ask these days to get players to tuck their shirts in and have shorts at the appropriate length. So how did, how did that one come about? Um, I, okay, this is where, this is a get off my lawn tweet. Um, obviously, when I was in high school, we had the short shorts. You know, it was 92 when the Fab Five brought in the knee-length courts and the short socks. Um, and, you know, I'm just, I'm just an old school guy. You know, my dad's a Marine. My grandparents were Marine. Well, our shirts were tucked in. <laughs> and I just, to me, my teammates, my players, our, we were, our shirts will be tucked in in practice. You know, we are gonna be properly represented. Um, um, and it's just, and it's funny, just because funny because today, today it's a rule, it's a rule. In, 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 in CIF, CIF California, California Interspoxic Corporation, it's a rule it's you a have rule to have your shirt to have yet, yet shirt jerseys are flopping in the wind and running up and down the floor. And before I put that tweet, a player who I used to train on the side, and he posted a video and his shirt's on top, and I'm like, how hard is this fucking a shirt, question mark? And he's like, coach, that's the style. I go, there's no style in that. <laughs> so, yeah, that's just a, that's a generational thing. I'm, I'm, I'm an old get off your lawn kind of guy. We're going to tuck in our shirts, you know, um, that kind of thing. That's, that's all it was. Got you. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, the, the shorter shorts are, are you know, have that's come cool. back now. Now. I will disagree with that. Keep that at an appropriate length, eight to ten inches. But I see six, ten kids rolling it up. I'm like, yeah, no, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, everybody's got to roll up the waistband now. Yeah, exactly. So here's another one. Um, this says, I follow a number of coaches, gurus, and trainers on here and on Instagram. Lately, I've seen these people party up pretty hard. These are the same people who tout that coaches are watching your social media. Hmm, sound advice. So just kind of talk a little bit about that one. Well, well you know, so I think there's, there's two ways I'm going to kind of answer this question. Number one, what you do in your personal life, completely up to you. All right? If you're going to advertise it, you're opening yourself up to scrutiny. Now, if you're a business owner, you know, trainers are representing a service, and um, if you're going to uh, work with kids that you're trying to share an example of, you know, you need to have, in my opinion, a clear delineation between your professional life and your social life, all right? What I have seen is that you're and I can't give you any specific names, but I've seen it enough out there where these trainers, these coaches, these gurus, they're out there having a good time. But in some cases, the conduct I would question that if my son's coach was doing that, you know, and, you know, is that a fair reflection of him trying to guide my child? You know, 
do as I say, not as I do. Alright? So, again, you go out, have a good time, do what you got to do. But it's hard to say, do X when you yourself do Y. You know what I mean? So that that's kind of so where that, that came from. from. Um, um, and oddly yeah, enough, oddly enough, uh, uh, somebody else saw somebody that tweet, else saw that tweet, and they and, and they, I know this coach, and, know this coach, and they sent me a note and say, "Hey, are you talking about me?" And I said, uh, I said "Do you think uh, I'm talking about you?" And again, young coach, you know, who worked with me on my staff, and I said. If you're reaching out, you should scroll through your IG account. You want your menu team looking at this. 12U team looking at this. I tell you, that's all I'm saying. And so it was just kind of interesting that he pulled that up and I had a comment, a direct comment from one of my former coaches. You're not calling me out, are you? I'm like, I wasn't, but if you're asking, Right, you know, if, if the shoe fits, right, as they say. Yeah, it's, you know, for me, I'm, I want any social media, I want it to properly represent who I am and what I stand for. You know, I think there, there have been times where I probably could have better job of conveying my message, you know, but that's just like anything else. Don't do anything when you're hot under the collar, or, the collar you know, or just need a timeout, you, time you know what I mean? You know, I want, if somebody goes through my social media page, you know, it's of value to not like, oh yeah, this guy's a complete hypocrite. Right, yeah. No, I, I definitely agree with what you were saying. You know, there's nothing wrong with, with going out and having a good time and, you know, living life how you want to live it, but you just got to be smart about what you post because... People only see, like, you appear to people based on what you post. So, Correct. you know, if you're constantly posting right. stuff about going out and partying, then that's the image that people are going to kind of develop about you. So, yeah, you know, it's okay to do those things, but probably just don't don't post about it. So, yeah, I mean, and coaches these yeah, days I mean, are watching social media, watching social you know, they're, mm -hmm. and, you know, we just had our parent meeting for softball the other night and, and I talked to our parents about social media. I said, look, if you're not following your child on TikTok or Instagram, then you need to, you know, you're, you're a parent. You need to make sure they're doing the right things. You know, I'm sure you've known kids and you see the stories that, that student athletes lose scholarships because they do something that they shouldn't be doing and it's hot on a video. You know, and, and you know, we just, you know, it wasn't like, I forget, was it Joe Burrow in high school or something like that? And he did something wrong. I forget what NFL quarterback it came up and reared his ugly head. Um, so. What do you think about um, kids who they post highlight, their highlight film or their highlight tape, but they use like an explicit song for it? What do you think about that? Yeah. It, it's funny. Yeah, it, it's I'm funny. I guess I'm 50. I grew up during the golden age of hip hop. So, you know, that was my so, background was my music on game day, right? Game day, right? And now that I have and kids, my kids, kids listening to this, listen you, know? Listen you know. I, I think I, I think they're catering, they're catering 
to their audience, to their, audience, audience, their, peers. To their peers. And unless you're savvy unless about you're savvy it, about you have somebody it, helping you with it, you know, all you're you doing know, is you're hyping yourself up amongst, you know, your, your genre of people. But coaches will see that, you know, some coaches will have an issue with it, some coaches won't, you know, but I think it goes back to like, you're posting a highlight, so what is your purpose? Like, what is the, what are you trying to do with this highlight? And then why did you choose this song? You know, and, and again, that's like a marketing 101 via Instagram, you know. It, you know, my daughter has a softball-specific website that shit, that, or Instagram account, you know. And, um, you know, but my wife does My wife's, you know, a career marketing person, you know, so it's very purposeful. You know, um, but kids that are 10, 12, 14, 16 years old, they just want to get the hype right. And I get that. But I would hope for people in part of their sphere that are hopefully watching and be like, you could probably have to on the different tune, or maybe there's an instrumental, you know. But, but this song is, is legit. Great, but you know you're dropping that bombs every third stanza. It's like, come on, come on. So again, I'm an old man. Yeah, no, I don't think it's like that big of a deal. But at the same time, it's like if you're gonna do that song, like at least just do the clean version, you know? Because again, you're you're putting a highlight film out to try to reach somebody, either a coach or you know, maybe to inspire another player. So you just got to be, be thinking about that, have that in mind. Um, so our last one, bit of a fun one here. Um, this one says, you could be watching paint dry, but if you have Mexican commentators, it's the most exciting thing you will ever watch. I just read that. <laughs> um, okay, so full disclosure, and this will blow your mind. I'm half Mexican. My mom's oh, wow. from Mexico. You, I look like my dad. My dad is not Mexican. And um, anytime like World Cup soccer's on, men or women, um, I will watch the, the the Hispanic channel because everybody wants to hear that guy yell, oh, and you start running around the house, and you don't care if you're from Uruguay or Peru or Germany. It doesn't matter. I think, I think sports broadcasting sports in general, depending on the sport, depending you have the legends, the Dick Hearns, the Vin Scully's, you know, Bob Costas Bob is great, Jim, Jim Buck or Joe Buck, um, you know, those are like once-in-a-lifetime things. But when you look at how a sport represents a culture, and obviously soccer, football, you know, outside of the United States, it's a passion, right? And, you know, when Mexico, in California, when Mexico would come up and play the LA Galaxy or the USA team, because the USA training facility is in um, Hawthorne, which is about an hour up from where I live, um, the energy that it brings, you know, unless you're a soccer diehard, soccer's not something you're turning on because you're wanting to see it. You know, it can be a, a slow game. Um, but... 
you know, when you bring a passion to it from an analysis standpoint, oh, it's great. There's a great episode of The Simpsons that does that. There's an international friendly like one American broadcaster. He's like, and he holds it, and he holds it. And then they have the, the, the Hispanic announcer, and the guy's just going, yes. and he passes it, and he holds it, and he passes it. That is the energy sport needs, you know? Um, so that's what that is referring to. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. Uh, you know, whenever you can bring some more passion, more energy into the game, it makes it always more exciting. Uh, and I think the, the future of, of sports commentary is going to be more like, like, I don't know if you've watched uh, Monday Night Football last year when they had the Manning brothers. Yeah. The yeah, I think it'll be it'll be more like that rather than just kind of the traditional, you know, play by play and then the, you know, the analysts. So, yeah. Well, I'm going to I'm going to date myself again here. There used to be a show in the 90s called Mystery Science Theater. And it was this these these two guys watching these old sci-fi films and making commentary to it, you know. And they when I when that came on, that's what it reminded me of is that you know, having people that have played the game offering insight as you go is far more entertaining than, yeah. you know, third and three, we're looking for some dump off, blah, 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 and engaging, but maybe not as enticing. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, this has been awesome, man. I really enjoyed this conversation, and, you know, I've definitely learned a lot of new things, and, you know, I'm sure everybody that's listened to this as well has learned a lot, so... Really appreciate you taking the time and, and joining the, the podcast today. Well, I, I deeply appreciate it. You know, as I talk about this stuff all day. Um, I thank you for the opportunity, and, and I look forward. Excuse me, I look forward to our conversations in the future. And, and you know, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna get your book. I saw you got a book. I'm gonna get your book. I'm gonna dive into that. I appreciate that. I'm always looking, uh, you know, looking for the next piece of literature to make me better. Um, I got a stack, but I've made a commitment to go through it. So, um, yeah, I really enjoyed this, and, and yeah, I look forward to uh, our next conversation. Yeah, we'll have to do a, a part two sometime. You know where to find me. Up at 4 a.m. Awesome. All right. No problem. Thank you, Coach.